Welcome to episode 435 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, March 8th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by a special guest, NL Labor participant and all-around amazing guy, Doug Dennis. Doug, how's it going? It's great. How are you? I'm great. It's really good to have you on. Uh, we meet up every year at the AFL and as far as I'm concerned, have a blast on our panel and hanging out. And so I figure, you know, uh, Jason and I were going to talk AL and NL. We went really long on the AL and said, well, why don't I get a participant from the NL? A lot of great guys to choose from, but I figure why not get Doug? Uh, because you're also hilarious. Now I didn't get smart Doug. And for those of you that go to AFL, you'll get that joke. We couldn't get smart Doug because he wasn't in the league. So we had to settle for uh, Doug Doug. Uh, but I'm glad to have you on, and I'm very excited to talk about your team. Yeah, just let me know when to put the horse's head on, <laughs> and I'll, I'll do that. Again, these are inside jokes from, from the AFL. You guys got to get there. I know Jason and I mention it almost every episode, especially in October and November when it's uh, about to come up. But it's such a good time, and Doug is, is, is part of what makes it such a great time out there. Doug, I think... One of the best parts about having you on specifically is that you always have um, a, a different plan than, than everybody else. I, I think last year you ran into a situation where somebody else shared your plan. I believe it was Steve Moyer. Uh, but for the most part, you've been pretty steady on the, on this game plan as it results, uh, as it relates to pitching. So why don't you give us an idea of your game plan, pitching and offense going in, and then we'll talk about how it worked out. Yeah, sure. Um, I've probably been doing this for eight years and I think it's just too, far off the cliff for most people to do. But all I do is budget $230 for offense and $30 for pitching. And um, I'd say the only other thing other than that that I find that I do that might be a little unique is because labor's been going on for so long with the same participants that you can actually take last year's actual prices for the various slots and count on it being within a dollar or two from year to year. So, for instance, this year, and we'll probably talk about this later, um, closers went for almost nothing. Yep. And I think that surprised some people, but um, that happened last year too, so it didn't surprise me at all. I just um, So I keep track of those slot values as well as just what do I think a player is going to be worth, you know, in, in actuality, and that, that served me pretty well. And for those that don't know, Doug writes about bullpens over at Baseball HQ. So, uh, part of having just the $30 budgeted for, for pitching, uh, you have a bit of an advantage because you're deep in the bullpens. You know all these NL bullpens. So you can speculate on some deeper guys that you're hoping to get saves from in season. And we'll cover a few of those. You got three $1 guys that are hard throwers. They should have good ratios and good strikeouts if they're not getting saves, but they're also going to be close in line uh, to get saves. But I do want to focus on your offense first. As you mentioned, you budgeted 234 and it's really interesting too, because you don't have anyone north of $25 and that's Matt Carpenter, but you only have one single digit guy. And it looked like a big focus of yours was to invest heavily on catcher where you got two guys, uh, totaling 34 bucks, JT Romuto at 16 and, uh, Wilson Contreras at 18. That is way above where everybody else is. Did you see a potential advantage there to get two stud catchers, uh, where you're going to get a big leg up on at least every half of everybody's catcher output? Cause a lot of them have at least one slug and a lot of teams have two slugs. So did you see that as an, a potential advantage going in? Well, I think that's just one of the luxuries of having $230 available. So, you know, you get only so many slots and you want to try and fill them with productive players. You know, if I got slugs there, I'd have, to, you know, I don't know if I could spend the 230 So that's, 
that's, that's true. That's not really a focus of the strategy, but it certainly is an important part. That makes total sense, yeah, because if you are budgeting 230, uh, it's got to go somewhere. And so why not get that advantage where, again, a lot of people are kind of punting. Uh, you know, Lenny Melnick put two $3 guys. I kind of like Tony Walters at 3 bucks, uh, but he has Tucker Barnhart, you know, uh, Ianetta for a buck, Alfaro for a buck, a lot of, a lot of one to three dollar guys for everybody's second catcher. And then even some other folks don't have a very good first catcher. Colton and Wolfman went with Chris Herman for three bucks, uh, Travis D'Arno. $8 as the first catcher, Austin Hedges as a first one. So I do think that that can be a big advantage, even though catchers aren't huge volume producers. You're just getting such a sharp advantage. Plus, I like the combo you got. Real Muto's going to get you the batting average, might even get you a few steals. Contreras looks like a big potential power bat as well. So I do think you, uh, you were going to get advantage there. Let's focus on your corner, um, because that's a particularly interesting set of players that you got there. You went Tommy Joseph at first base. So while you were budgeting heavily on offense, you didn't get one of the upper end first basemen, but then you got Jake Lamb. And yeah, I mean, it says Wilmer Flores as your corner, but uh, Matt Carpenter's as your utility. So let's count Matt Carpenter among that trio. I think that that uh, is probably how you had it mapped out anyway. So Joseph, Lamb, and Carpenter. Uh, power expectation out of that trio, I assume? Yeah. No, I didn't. Um, it's interesting. I really don't target specific guys. And, wow, I thought the first baseman, I thought I would get a better one than Tommy Joseph, to be honest. But I did not um, anticipate, really, the prices being, they were all went a little bit more than I wanted. So I would get aced out for a dollar here, a dollar there. And then pretty soon I'm like, I got to get somebody. So Joseph was the guy. Um, Carpenter. I was going to say, I just, I don't don't think there's a ton of depth at first base either. Once you get behind, beyond the Goldie Rizzo, uh, Freeman, Vado level, you're already starting with risks. Can Will Myers do it again? Is Adrian Gonzalez going to stay healthy? How's Eric Thames really going to be coming over? So. No, exactly. I understand not wanting to pay the premium for those guys after you missed out on the four superstars. Right. And and as you can tell from my roster, I really try to spread the risk rather than go for a superstar. I, I never would get – it isn't that I'm not trying not to get Goldschmidt, but if I bought Goldschmidt, then I am going to get a slug probably at a position, which – I'm trying to avoid that. So, and that makes that makes total sense. Uh, Jake Lamb is somebody that really interests me. He was having an amazing season, and frankly, you can look at the bottom line and still call it an amazing season. But it could have been uh, truly elite had he not had what looks like a hand injury that lingered uh, for a couple months at the back end of the season. Are you seeing a guy here in, in Jake Lamb who could hit 35 homers this year? Well, I certainly hope he could, but I'm not counting on 35. I think um, I tend to look at players like Jake lamb and say you know here's the guy who could be better than he was last year and 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 maybe i can get him a little cheaper than people you know should pay for him but that's you know i i don't really go in targeting him but i did you know he definitely is a guy that i i was interested in and i'm i feel happy i got him for the price i got him at yeah i i i totally agree there where he doesn't need to hit 35 for 18 bucks that you paid for him, but he could, and that, that would be a boon for you again there. And then Matt Carpenter has shown that his power outburst of a couple years ago is legitimate. He did run into a little bit of an injury last year, but I think by and large, uh, you can feel confident with him as a very steady producer at the top of a quality lineup. Looking at your yeah, middle. Yeah, I think that, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say I paid a little bit of a premium for Carpenter maybe, but part of that, my thinking on that is I want a guy who's eligible 
at corner and middle in case I have injuries and need to move guys around. So that, I, I paid maybe an extra buck or two than I intended for him, but that was the thinking. And I think a buck or two is perfectly reasonable extra cost for flexibility. I even sometimes bump it a few more bucks than that. So the fact that he was only a buck or two higher than what you might have wanted to pay, I did think that you got a, a, a nice price there on Carpenter. I like the balance of upside and, and floor with your middles. Uh, Colton Wong at 10 bucks, Dansby Swanson at, at 17. They're a little bit more on the upside. And Brandon Crawford at 13 is just a steady guy. His homer count was down, but his slugging was still fine i think he can get back into the mid upper teens with his home runs there uh talk to us a little bit about your 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 trio of of middle infielders yeah i went into the draft actually thinking that i would get stolen bases out of middle infield um but that all went sideways when uh, billy hamilton came up and didn't go past 25 Mm -hmm. so once i got billy hamilton i didn't really need a lot more steals um and so i kind of shifted money around based on that um but i i like i like wong at 10 i hope he plays a lot i don't know exactly what the cardinals plans are but you know until last year i I thought that he was a you know a pretty good buy i I feel like his runs and rbis will be solid you know and he'll he'll chip in some steals i think um swanson you know who knows i don't know what i'm going to get from swanson i know what the projections look like but um you know, that's the kind of thing that could go like uh, Comforto went last year, or he could just stay a steady producer all year long. I mean, I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm hopeful, obviously. Um, Crawford, I just think Crawford is one of those unsexy, um, you know, plain as vanilla guys that you get for below value and then produces, you know, 60 RBIs and 60 runs, and, and you know, you just put it in the bank. I, I completely agree with you on, on the on the Hamilton piece specifically. I'm curious about Hamilton. He did go for 25. He's your top outfielder. David Dahl at 20, Osmani Tomas at 20, Domingo Santana at 13, and Alex Dickerson at 10. We'll get to the others in a moment. Billy Hamilton at 25, does he fit well with a plan like this with regards to the pitching because he's somebody who's very easily tradable in season to address uh, a deficiency, whether it's the saves because you did punt saves or to get you a, a, a bigger frontline arm. Do, do you have that plan or was it just something as simple as he should go for more than 25? He's not. So I'm jumping on him. Yeah, it really was a target of opportunity. I had no intention of getting Billy Hamilton, but when he was going, you know, at 25, I, you know, I, I jumped in and, and then nobody went any higher and there he was. So it did adjust. It really adjusted how I budgeted, but, um, you know, cause I didn't really budget for him per se. I really budgeted for somebody like D Gordon, but between the two, what's really the difference? I don't know. So once I got him, I had to, you know, I had to just do a little scrambling, but I, um, you know, the fact that you point out, um, him being tradable is a good one. One of the things that you obviously try to do if you're going two thirty and 30 is you're not going to stand pat and hope for the best. You don't really have a balanced roster. You're hoping that you get enough surplus and counting stats on offense that you can then trade it later in the season. But you get to see like where you're getting that surplus. So you're, you know, you have more intel than you have, you know, on day one about where your strengths are. So that's really kind of the general goal. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if he ran off a bunch of steals early on, he, that would be, that would be fantastic for my team. 
Yeah, if he if he's clicking, and, and he did have a run last year where, where Billy Hamilton really looked to jump forward, if he's a beast for you, you get three months of him, and then you flip him for you know a couple assets to really strengthen the team again, depending on where, where it's not working. Uh, you didn't completely punt saves. You did get uh, Adovino, who I do like, and then if one of Carl Edwards, Hunter Strickland, or Rodas Vizcaino somehow rose into the closers role, you might be fine there, but maybe Vincent Velasquez doesn't hold up or something, and then you need an ace arm. I think that Billy Hamilton in a strategy like this is really good because he's so easy to trade for something substantial too. Um, let's talk about David Dahl. He does have the injury. It's the stress fracture in the rib. It was, it was something that was known at draft time. And honestly, it probably saved a few bucks. I mean, the, with the draft price that he's been going at, I could have seen his, his auction value being in the lower twenties. It was 20 flat, but I could have seen it being 22 to 24. Uh, were you concerned about the injury and still went forward or, or what was your outlook on David, David Dahl? Yeah, I was not really targeting him per se. Um, I, I had him on my draft sheet a little bit higher. I had him at 23, you know, not counting the injury. And, um, you know, at the time of the draft, I thought, wow, maybe I'll sneak him in at like 17 or 18 if uh, people are overly concerned. It certainly, you know, was close to that. But 20, you know, 20 might be too much for him. I really don't know a lot about how a stress fraction or rib, you know, how long is somebody out for that? I really don't know. And I don't have a lot of comfort from what Colorado has been saying. I'll tell you that. But, um, yeah, I'm very concerned about it. But, um but again, um, this is part of the $230 is that honestly, if I didn't have David Dahl all season long, I'd still have a pretty good offense. It just wouldn't be as perfect as it would have been had I spent that money on somebody who played. But you know, I don't, I don't know how long he'll be out and I'm, I'm certainly concerned about it. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some risk there. But again, because you've spread the risk, um, all around to your team, I do think it is something that you can overcome. And if he does happen to kind of only need two weeks, that, that's one thing too that I, I, I think happens a lot is that we, we really freak out over these early March injuries. And I get it because, you know, it, it's what we know and, and, and we're worried, but it's, a, it's such a long season. This could be something that maybe it takes seriously two, three weeks off of his April. But if he plays healthy the rest of the way, he's still going to have a beast season. And so at 20 bucks, I like the risk. I know he's not going to have a 400 Babbitt or whatever the hell it was uh, last year with, with his call-up for Colorado. But Colorado is such a great place for offense that I really do like uh, still getting him even though there is that injury risk. So I, I think you're going to end up all right there. Yosemite Tomas, I've never been a fan, but 20 bucks for uh, – a certain amount of homers because I feel comfortable that you're going to at least get 25 homers and just kind of plug him in and he's going to play. I can understand that even though, again, I'm not a huge fan. I don't think there's a ton of upside, but I do think he'll be solid. And then Domingo Santana and Alex Dickerson has nice upside potentials. Dickerson showed a lot of pop. I do think there's room in the outfield for him to find some playing time. And Domingo Santana was a breakout candidate last year. It didn't quite come to fruition. So now he's a little bit of a post type guy at 13 bucks. I like both of those guys. How'd you feel about the back end of your outfield? I was very excited to, I honestly feel like Santana and Dickerson fell to me. I didn't expect to get them at the prices I got them. I thought Dickerson would be a little more um, than that. Um, Santana, it just depends on whether you're just going to go for the upside or not. I mean, if he's healthy and hits his, you know, his projection is healthy, then then he'll, you know, he'll bank a profit. But you know, you don't know if he's going to be healthy. I don't know that he's, you know, super. 
you know, particularly injury prone, but he certainly didn't do it last year. And I think, so there's risk, but I, you know, I'm happy about both of those guys. It's funny what you said about Tomas. Tomas today made a diving catch. And all I could think was, oh, God, don't get hurt. What are you doing? Stop that. Defense is not your calling card, Yasmani. Relax. Yes, let it bounce against the wall. It's just spring training. You know, don't worry about that stuff. Exactly. I, I think that that's actually really good advice uh, for Yasmani. Come on, man. Anyone drafting you and, and rostering you is looking for those home runs. Nobody cares about your defense. Uh, all right. That's let's- right. Let's move to the pitching because this is this is what everyone's here for to talk about with with your unique setup here. Eight dollars for Vince Velasquez is your top guy. Adam Adovino at seven, and then nobody else over five. Wei Yin Chen four, Josh Hader four, Luke Weaver three. I really like Luke Weaver. Brad Anderson for a buck, hoping to get you know if you can get ninety innings, it'd be great for a dollar. And then as I mentioned earlier, Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Strickland, and Erodas Vizcaino all for a dollar. Um, again, the plan is only 30 bucks. Walk us through if any of these were specific targets or you just kind of take what the draft gives you on that pitching plan. I take what the draft gives me. And honestly, I'm almost too simplistic because all I do, you know, I told you before, I use the slot values to kind of give me a guide of what I expect people to spend. But all I do is rank order them by FIP, which just is like, I know you're about to faint or like kill me or something. But honestly, that's all I do. So that I can just have a general idea of, of, of where, cause I don't, I don't put any faith in projections of innings pitched. You know, some guy's gonna throw 200, some guy's gonna throw 160, but you, you know, who can tell me which is gonna be which? Um, maybe for three or four guys, but those are way at the top of the food chain anyway, and I, I'm not gonna be able to afford them. So, um, I, I throw that part out the window, I just rank them by FIP, and then, um, I wait. And I wait and I wait and I wait and I wait till someone comes into the price range. And I'll tell you, Velasquez, eight dollars is more than I've spent on a starting pitcher in like eight years. Oh, which wow. sounds crazy. That does I, sound I've, crazy. I've spent as much as six, <laughs> but not as much as eight. That's so awesome. I kind of reached for him um, and had it work out. You know, it worked out. So because because I didn't expect to get a guy like Weaver at three. Um, I'm actually, ha- I mean. You might laugh at this. I'm actually happy to get Chen at four. I didn't expect to get somebody like Chen at four. Um, Hader, Hader was at the very end of the draft, and I could have had him for one. But in labor, you get money back if somebody gets hurt. So, I, you know, instead of leaving $3 on the table, I just grabbed them at four. That's a good call, yeah. Um, who knows if he'll pitch, I mean, or when he'll come in. I don't know. Um, one of the big parts of this strategy to make that for it to work is I have to come up with somewhere along the line, I have to come up with two closers. That's the only way it works. And I count on, um, I count on finding guys in the season, which, you know, that's a lot of risk, but that's, that's the only way I can make this thing work. And so I just try to place value bets and, and get saves from those value bets. So out of Vino, I like him better than I like, um, than I like Holland, Greg Holland. Um, and I felt like that was a pretty good bet at seven bucks. I didn't think that was too much. It, 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 and if he turns out to be a pretty solid, you know, everyday guy, then I went to find one other guy. And from there, it's just a matter of making these dollar bets and trying, you know, I'll cycle through, you know, what my pitching staff looks like today by May 1st, you know, I might have five of the same guys because I'm just cycling through trying to find, you know, who's going to be that guy mm-hmm. and who's hot right now and, and, you know, who's not, who's shaky and might lose their job. 
So I do a lot of that cycling uh, th- during the season, which you don't see, you know, on draft day. No, I, I and again, I do like Adovino as well, and I think he will be kind of your strong saves guy. And so you're not going to necessarily, if you are struggling a little bit there, you're not necessarily going to have to go out and get like the best guy, trade for Kenley Jansen or something. It might even be a situation in that hypothetical Hamilton trade where you get a big starter and then like a throw-in closer, you know, like a Neftali Feliz, kind of a back-end sort of guy um, to just stabilize your saves. But I, I, I think you've got the makings of something here. And obviously when you're going to go – so cheap on pitching, it's going to require a bunch of ifs, you know, if Chen is healthy, if Velasquez right. takes another step. We get that part. But there is at least a path. I, I see where the path is, where Chen is your your 190-inning stabilizer, Velasquez is your big breakout, Hayter and Weaver, one of them pops. Uh, Brett Anderson miraculously stays healthy and gives you like 120 innings. And then um, if if Edward Strickland and Vizcaino don't close, you keep two of them for their ratios and strikeouts, then you probably rotate that other spot as like a um, uh, almost like a streaming starter sort of deal. Speaking of, yeah, I mean, and honestly, like what we should do is look back like um, middle or end of May and say, okay, what does the pitching staff look like now? And you'd say, wow, so it's totally different from what you drafted and look at what it looks like because that's, that's really where it, you make or break your season, you know, doing the strategy. It's, it's, it's really in May because you have to see how people are playing, you know, and, and, and kind of jump on opportunity when it comes. I, I completely agree. Um, let's talk a quick bit about your reserves and then we'll jump into the league at large. There's Mondi Alcantara. I still like this guy a bit. He's got kind of all sorts of skills. He's in Cincinnati now. If the playing time opens up, I don't know. I still think it could be like a little bit of a power speed asset. It's a long shot at this point. That's why he's a reserve pick. And then five pitchers, obviously, because you are going so, uh, so with so much gamble in your pitching. You went Cahill, Brett Cecil, Scott Feldman, Amir Garrett, who I do really like, another Cincinnati guy, and then Derek Law. So you have two bits of the San Francisco bullpen if Mark Melanson doesn't work out. And there was some scare. I remember early last year. I like Melanson. I don't think he's some major risk to fall off, but Closers in general are a risk. So getting a couple pieces of, of a bullpen, uh, is not a bad idea. And I like that you got two pieces of that San Francisco bullpen behind Melanson. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of your, your, uh, bench guys there. Yeah, sure. So one of the things from the pitching standpoint is if you're only spending $30, you try to get as much volume as you can. Because if one guy doesn't work out, you need somebody else to work out. And this is one way to try to do it. Um, I did get law with the idea of of, of Strickland and him, I don't really, I, I mean, I wouldn't count on Melanson being bad or getting hurt, but, you know, if it does happen, it's probably going to be one of those two guys. You know, I could say the same about Wade Davis. He got hurt last year. You know, maybe Edward slides in there. Guys like um, Feldman and Cahill, that's not really part of my strategy. I try to get some starters that, that can work out, but they're probably not good enough. Um, so not, I'm not real excited about those two, to be honest. Um, they would be like emergency fill-in type guys if I needed the innings. Um, Amir Garrett, God, I hope he's good. I don't know. I hope on two fronts because I'm a Reds fan. Yes, <laughs> but um, but you know, I mean, he's 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 a baby and he's just developing. And there's going to be opportunity because the Reds' starting staff is terrible. Um, so I don't know what we're going to get from him, and I may never use him. But if I, you know, if he turns out, and, and last year I got um, Zach Davies in the reserve round, 
almost exactly in the same slot, and that worked out perfectly. Um, so you just never really know. We don't, um, right? Alcantara, what's that? That's the thing. We, we really don't know. You, you see these guys, and they feel like, well, they're so far off. But then you look at the reserves from the previous year, and you're like, oh, you know, a, a, a decent handful of them end up contributing, even though they don't seem to have the path now. Again, it kind of goes back to that thing about just how long the season is and how much stuff is going to happen. Uh, so I'm totally with you there, especially with Garrett. I really like him and Alcantara. Both of the Reds guys, they're a team in flux. They're, they would, they would be, uh, it would behoove them to give a couple young guys some playing time, particularly from like June on. So you're not starting their clock too early. And the both of those could be hits for you. So I do like both of them. Yeah. No, I'm happy with them. Alcantara is not something I almost ever do get a hitter during the reserves. But um, I just had I haven't I, I I just have a little bit of an idea that the Reds really want him to work out. Whether he does, it's up to him. But they really want it to work. So if they want it to work, so do I. I'm 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 in. I, I'm on board. I'm on board with it. Uh, for those who don't know, Doug is a Reds fan, so he's a little bit more invested. But I, I've liked Alcantara forever, and I I would like to see him uh, uh, break through if he could. Who's your favorite buy on your team? My favorite buy on my team. Probably Carl Edwards for one dollar. I just think he's electric, and I do. I do wonder, you know, about Wade Davis. Like he's tremendous, tremendous pitcher, but Absolutely. he got hurt last year. And I won't root for him to get hurt this year, but I won't be sad if he does. Exactly. Well, and again, you're not going to root for it because you're not a monster. But it's a situation where we've got to be ready for the for the realness that that he could be. Um, you know, if he was fully healthy, I think he goes for more than Soler in a trade. And I like Jorge Soler just fine. I thought it was a solid trade for KC as well, especially with the way they're moving right now. But there is, there's plenty of risk with Wade Davis. The, the injuries that he had usually portend something bigger, perhaps Tommy John. So I do think getting into that bullpen as well was a good idea. And Carl Edwards Jr. just has, again, he could give you ratios and strikeouts even if he doesn't close. So I thought you did well there. Uh, was it, did you have a big regret at all? Was there anything that you regretted, whether it was a player or part of the strategy? Anything where you came out and said, man, I should have done that differently? Well, I wish I had, this sounds, I, I wish I hadn't got David Dahl, cause I just don't know what's gonna happen with him. Mm-hmm. And I had opportunity to buy other guys who are, who are not that far away, but don't have that injury risk. So, it was kind of a mistake on my part to, to, to jump all the way to 20, but once you've done, spent the money, it isn't like you can get it back and try again. So, That's true. you know, if I knew what that, after the draft, you know, if I knew that at the time, I probably would have passed on him and got somebody else, but, that's not how it worked out. Nobody ever really has a perfect draft, but that that's the one that I really if he ends up not playing all of April, I'm going to be pretty sad. Yeah, that that would be tough at 20 bucks, but again, there is still a lot of upside if the injury isn't as, as bad as we think. Uh we'll kind of have to see how that goes. I did like the $5 par. That would have been nice if you'd have been able to get him, but uh you probably had too much money to spend $5 on somebody. Well, then you did have the $7 Wilmer Flores, so maybe it, that could have been, but I don't know the dynamics of how those guys came out either because that that would have been something that I think would have worked perfectly if you could have backed all up then I would have no problem with him at 20 but instead you're eating that risk and we'll kind of see how it goes um yeah did you have a favorite buy league-wide was there one thing where you're like that was a great buy or, or or you can name a few if you want if you don't have one singular favorite but who were some pickups that you thought that's going to work out really nicely well I there's a lot of pictures that I look at and say I really 
I, you know, I like the risk reward on some of these guys that are not, you know, that didn't have the perfect year last year, but have the upside. So even though he was way out of my price range, I would love to have Aaron Nola on my team. I just think that he's terrific. And if he's even, even, you know, healthy for, for two thirds of the season, a whole season, you know, he's really going to pay out. Um, Alex Woods, another one where he went at a discount like I expected him to because of so many options in L.A., mm-hmm. but I think Alex Wood's going to be really good this year. Just a little bit out of my price range at the time he came out. I would have grabbed him in a second if I thought I could. Those are probably the two that I that I really, you know, if I, if I could have got them, I would have felt like I hit a home run. Yeah, I really like Nola as well. I like Nola and Velasquez, so I like that you got at least one of them. I think both have a chance to, to, to really have big seasons. It is contingent on their health. They both ran into health issues last year and Nola's elbow is a little scary. If he'd have been more in that, in that nine ten range, maybe you could have made an exception and said, I'll get a $10 guy instead of an $8 guy. But again, anybody with double digits in pitching doesn't really work out for your strategy or else you're going to end up with maybe too many $1 guys. So I totally understand, uh, why you shied away from Nola. Let's talk about some some league trends, and you already hit on one about closers being cheap, so we're going to start there. Kenley went for 20 bucks. Kenley Jansen was the only $20 guy. There were three others at 15 plus, and then everyone else, and it just wasn't that expensive to roster closers this year, but that's partly because there aren't a lot of great ones either. There's not a lot of stability there, which makes me like your Adovino purchase even more at 7 bucks. So you already hit on how you, how you saw this playing out, but was this something uh, you said you saw it kind happening from last year as carryover right yeah last year's i'll just read off last year so forget this year entirely last year closers went in in this twenty dollars for the top guy then 18 then 17 then 15 then 14 then 12 then 10 then everybody else was under 10 so the same exact thing happened last year Exactly the same. That's ver- yeah, that, and that's really interesting too, what you mentioned about how with the same players playing year in, year out, maybe one change here and there, um, you really can start to see these patterns. And then the AL, it's a lot different. You had seven guy, eight guys going at least 15 or more compared to just the four in the National League. So that certainly aids your strategy in terms of, uh, with all the instability in, in those closer roles, uh, there could be some saves coming out on the wire, which of course you could be aggressive on and get some of them. Let's talk about, uh, corner infielders. There were some expensive corner infielders that were 15 at 20 plus and then 27 who went for $10 or more. Whereas the middle infielder was a little bit more about depth. There were only 11 who went 20 plus, but then 25 who were at 10 plus. So virtually the same number. It was just more in that 19 to $10 range. Uh, was this something that you, you foresaw coming in terms of more expensive corners and deeper middle? Or how, how did you view the, view those two position sets coming in? Well, I figured I would have to pay, a, you know, a lot to get a good first baseman. And I was just worried about where that line was going to break. And, you know, I was willing to spend up to, say, $25. I ended up getting Carpenter for $25. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't really see it. You know, Brandon Belt went for, like, 22 I didn't really want that. I was staying away from Thames. I'm scared of him. I have no idea what he's going to do. If he hits his projection, then whoever got him is going to have a massive windfall. Certainly in my view. Um, but those guys, you know, above that, even like Will Myers, Will Myers, Freeman, Votto, Rizzo, Goldschmidt, way out of my price range. 
Um, Adrian Gonzalez would have been a possibility. Um, I thought he went a little high. I, I ended up with Joseph, but but it, because of that premium, the people were paying, you know, at that position really. Um, and then so then I got you know I got power elsewhere. They, there's plenty of power at third base, and um, and so I just went there instead. Yeah, I think you did get your power locked up with with Carpenter and, and Lamb. They're not the 40 homer guys, but I think both could actually chase. I think even Carpenter could chase down 30 if you kind of look at what he did last year. If he plays the full season, Joseph's a guy who uh, if he stays above water against righties and continues to decimate lefties, he's going to be a big power asset for you as well. So you still got power at your corners and then you'll get power contributions from your middle infielder guys like uh, Crawford, he'll be a teens guy Dansby, uh, double digits but nothing crazy and, and Wong could be the same thing if he plays all year and then of course the outfield which we already hit on um, I did I did find it interesting that the depth is really playing out in the middle, that, that was my initial thought when I first started looking at ADP numbers back in, in February uh, that both second base and shortstop were going to be deep and I think it's that, that case in both leagues uh, when you look at them as a unit, as a middle infield unit, I think both of them are deep AL and NL. But we really saw it in the uh, in the National League. Was that something that you saw going in, or you realized as you were uh, in the heart of the auction? Yeah, I mean, this has worked out for me year after year. Last year, um, I got um, Jonathan VR, and I got um, um, DJ LeMahieu, and I got Trey Turner all in the same kind of price range. Now, I don't expect the guys I got this year to be like that. But, you know, that's where the – I mean, that's what happens. I mean, you get these guys and then some of them go, you know, crazy. You know, maybe Jose Peraza goes crazy. I don't know what he went for. But, but you know, there, there's just so many guys that, that you could that you could pick from. And it's so, I you know, I just picked – I picked – I thought Brandon Crawford was really safe. And I really feel like for ten dollars, you know, Colton Wong can almost do anything, and it'll work out fine. So I'm not really, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. And again, we don't know how things are going to go. I'm not saying that Wong's going to be this year's VR, but he could be a, a, a huge breakthrough. Remember, a couple of years ago, maybe even last year, Lar Michaels was paying twenty something bucks for him in one of the uh, industry leagues because he loved his power speed combo. And thought he was going to improve his average to to a level that was uh, commensurate with his minor league experience. So Wong was a guy that I've I've been a fan of before. A little bit of a post type guy could be especially interesting for you. And then on the pitching side, uh, we saw where it is it is thick at the top. There were plenty of guys going twenty plus. That's not a pool you play in, so I know that's not a main focus for you. But how did you feel about the theatrics with the Clayton Kershaw thing as it relates to Derek Cardi, Derek Van Riper, uh, Dalton Daldon, and the rest of the group? They they were talking about they're not going to let Cardi get him. Cardi makes this big long speech about how I'm going to throw him out at the number I like, and if you go higher, you can have him forty dollars. Someone says 41. He instantly says 42, and Cardi ended up getting him at 44. How did you feel about all that playing out with Kershaw? Well, I was sitting right next to Dalton, and he was talking about how, um, one, how he was going to screw with uh, Derek Cardi, but he was also talking about how he was going to mess with him the entire draft. So it doesn't surprise me that it played out, you know, kind of the way it did, but I'm you know, I'm not sure that they really were that gung ho to get Kershaw if 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 they weren't going to pay 44. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what Kershaw's worth. I just see downside there. Sure. You know, I mean, he's so good, 
but 44 is the most anybody paid for any player. And I'm not sure that, I mean, that seems like a lot of risk to me. Um, I would have much rather had, I'll tell you a great buy was, uh, Derek Van Riper got, uh, Johnny Cueto for like 22. I fully agree. So half of Kershaw. Yeah, I mean, that's, he, that's a good buy. He's a legitimate fantasy ace and, and it doesn't necessarily get treated as such. And I know that he doesn't have the strikeout rate of some of those other guys, but his volume of innings, uh, keeps his strikeout total up there with the studs. And I think that that's a big separator for Cueto. You know, he's, he kind of has this air of injury concern over him, but he really only has the one lost season, the one where he threw 60 innings and he was done. And though, by the way, they were 60 brilliant innings. He was on his way to another great season. Yeah. But this is a guy who, who, who answers the bell. He goes 200 plus. Great fit in San Francisco. I completely agree. That was a tremendous buy. And, you know, Derek Van Riper did want to challenge on, on Kershaw, maybe didn't want to go 45 and instead got, uh, Cueto at 22. That's a, Excellent consolation prize. So I totally agree with you there. Um, I think that's going to about wrap us up, Doug. Just want to look at a couple other things here. Um, there were only, there were 37 $1 guys in the American League and 31 in the AL. So it looks like there's maybe a little bit more depth of player in the American League versus the NL. Uh, or do you think maybe something like your strategy plays into that? Because I think you ended up with the most $1 guys between either league. Well, it may, I wonder, I really don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if me doing this crazy strategy makes people in the NL think a lot differently than people in the AL. I'm curious too. I I really don't know. Because I I don't know the answer. It's not something, so if there are other strategies like this, either being enacted in the NL or the AL, they don't really know coming in, right? It might be something that they see develop after the first break. But with you, everyone knows you're going to do this. So I'm, I'm right. curious how they alter their draft boards and their valuations on pitching, knowing that you're just not going to spend your money on it. Uh, it is very interesting. And I, I, I am curious. Maybe we'll ask some of the other folks in the league how they kind of change and, and, and do their valuations based on that. Because, uh, again, you're always going to do it. another thing that is a, a steady thing is Lenny Melnick is never going to pay for closers. So you almost have two guys essentially punting saves. Again, you didn't fully punt, but you're not going to be in on the upper guys and, he, and Lenny is going to fully punt. So that's another thing that changes the valuations. Is that probably why closers are so cheap these last two years as well? It very well could be. I mean, I don't know why else it would be. I, I mean, Honestly, it's, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But at the same time, if, um, if people know that they don't have to spend as much on pitching in this particular league, they won't have to. They can, they can, they can say, okay, I can get the pitching I want, but I don't have to spend as much for it. I will shift some money over to him. Absolutely. And that could very well be happening. I, I just don't know. I think it is something that we're seeing. Uh, again, we won't know for sure, uh, but we can ask some of the guys what, what they think when they are doing their drafts. Uh, Doug, I really appreciate you being on. Can you let people know where they can find your work on Twitter and at Baseball HQ? Yeah, BaseballHQ.com. Unfortunately, behind the paywall, but um, well every once in a while, they'll put well, everyone out well there. Well worth it, though. I, I, I got to admit, you know, you, you know I love HQ. I've been at the AFL now for several years, uh, contributed to the forecaster. I'll always go to bat for HQ. They do great work. You guys are killing it over there. So it's well worth it to get yourself a, a full season subscription. I think where you guys really do an excellent job is in season two. And that's where stuff like your bullpen work comes into play too. Uh, keeping people abreast of, of the situations in every bullpen and where they can speculate on those saves. So 
I think you do a great job, even though it is behind a paywall. Well, thank you. The goal this year is to not have to wear a horse's head at Arizona Folly. I, I think you're going to come in with something else, though. That, two years ago, it was the suit. This past year, it was the horse head. Uh, I'm very eager to see what you've got on the panel next year. And then, of course, Twitter, Doug Dennis 41 I believe. Yep, that's correct. Uh, I, you got to follow him on Twitter. Hilarious guy. Uh, unfortunately, we had to keep it clean with the language, but uh, you get a few pops in Doug, and, and, and it, we can really let loose, too. Thank you so much for being on, Doug. It was a great time talking to you, and, and good luck to you this year. Thank you. Great talking to you, too.